Thank you for joining with us for another episode of Morning Briefings here on the Pipeline Intercession for the President and on our podcast. If you have any dreams that you have about the office of the president, please send them to pip at christiancentershreveport.com. We're so thankful that you all have joined in with us on this prayer journey, and we look forward to standing with you not only today, but in the days ahead. So with that, we'll go ahead and join today's broadcast as we talk about the news and stand on the wall for this nation and the office of the president. Good morning, good morning, everyone. Zach Arskadin coming to you live from North Carolina. And what a blessed Friday it is to be joined in by each and every one of you across this great nation, across this great land, however you're joining in with us. And today we want to continue on our journey of restoring ourselves to begin enter the the covenant relationship we have with the Lord to enter into the throne room boldly. And we want today look at and continue our, our, our study in Deuteronomy 1 and look at Deuteronomy 22, 1, 22 through 26. And it's it's a summarization of Numbers 13 and 14. So you could also look there for the the long story on that as far as a deep explanation of what happened. And it'll make more sense as we go through it here. Um, but we see here first in Deuteronomy 21, 22 and through 26 is it's a summarization of what happens in Numbers 13 and 14. And, and here we see the scripture says, Then... All of you approached me and said, Let us send men before us that they may search out the land for us and bring back to us word of the way by which we should go up in the cities which we shall enter. Obviously, the promised land. The thing pleased me, and I took twelve of your men, one man for each tribe. They turned and went up into the hill country and came to the valley of Eskol and spied it out. Then they took some of the fruit of the land in their hands and brought it down to us, and they brought us back a report and said, It is a good land in which the Lord our God is about to give us. Yet you were not willing to go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And as you read and studied in in 14, you know, obviously when the spies came back, we know that Joshua and Caleb were the only spies that say, yes, we can take this. Okay, they may be mighty, but the Lord, and they had faith. And that's why I titled today's episode of Faith Moves Us Forward, is they had faith to move forward. And then through our Bible reading today and yesterday of reading Hebrews 11, of just seeing the examples of faith, of even the Israelites themselves who had faith to to cross the river, um, to flee the, the Egyptians. Um, but for some reason, they just had this fear for a moment, um, and it cost them. And even when they decided that they wanted to go back um, and, and fight the enemy, the Lord was like, no, you don't have my my covering and blessing in this. And therefore, some of it wiped out, and then we see and understand the journey that they had to go through in the wilderness. And, it, and it's a a moment of reflection for us to realize 
that we have an opportunity to to go forward. And and what Chuck points out through this is is something for us to pray and pay attention to in this season uh, is to understand that there are consequences of not going forward and outward when the Lord covers us. You know, when it when it seems like we all we have is faith and all we need is faith to go. So that's that's what the Lord wants. And and again, Hebrews eleven is a great example of some of the things in the past that we can easily look back on and reflect upon. That's why they made monuments um, at certain points in their journey so that they could remember the faith it took for those to enter into what they now have. Um, And then more so, the last part of this prayer point here is to break any strategy of unbelief that has held us captive because that could be what could be not allowing us to go forward and and not allowing us to have that restoration of the covenant blessing that the Lord wants in our lives. And as we see the Israelites in this specific example of when they didn't have faith, when, when they thought, oh, wow, they're too big um, for us to handle, for us to really see uh, uh, how we can defeat them and overtake them, and realizing that, that sometimes that's when the Lord needs it needs us to have faith faith the most is when you know it's it's in his his hand now that doesn't mean you do that in every situation because if the lord's not there as we see um even with the israelites in the end of numbers 14 of when the lord warned them of the amalekites uh, that were there and the other ites that were there but the lord's covering and blessing wasn't with them so they went out to battle without the lord um and and it's a it's it's a thing for us to realize we had to realize like the the sons of issachar the times and seasons, being sober and aware of, of where we're at, um, of whether it's it's time to go out or come in, and it's a as we read through and go through the news today, it'll really kind of highlight where we, we really need to be, um, and hopefully have the fear of the Lord in lockstep with what the Lord wants us to do in this season. And we're we're seeing some things um, come out from this administration that are are very alarming and something we need to be highly, highly aware of. Um, first, I want to start off, and most of you probably heard, uh, Queen Elizabeth II passed away yesterday after um, living a very long life um, in modern time, 96 years of age is when she passed away. And uh, we just want to honor that, honor the family, and honor the the life she lived of really understanding she understood her times and seasons and she ushered in i think it's a great example for the body of christ is she ushered in a new change of when when you had you know the end of world war one the end of world war two and this move towards communism versus and more so allowing um a shift in change of how governments operated around the world is she could have been like the monarchies in in the rest of Europe and in Russia where they were overthrown in France beheaded and or thrown out in Russia and, and unless she decided not to do that and be a totalitarian she stepped aside and and gave up some of that authority back to the people um and it, and it's a, a representation of what a transition into a new wineskin can look like in a positive sense. You don't have to go through turmoil and bloodshed. Is you can go back and more so in agreement with 
in this example of a more so a political agreement in transitioning, um, but yet still having dignity and respect from the people as the people in, in, in around England and, and UK around the world who were influenced and affected by her decisions, um, honor her and respect her over these coming days. So I just want to say that briefly, um, about her passing and then on international news, we get into this is in directly involving this administration and something we continue to follow. And as we learn more about the uh, best way to say it would be just the ramifications of the disastrous negotiations going on with this administration to get back to some degree into the Iran nuclear deal that President Trump removed us from and then slapped sanctions on. Um, Iran and, and its allies and its components within its economy to hamper uh, and really prevent them from growing economically as they would currently like and have like wanted to in the past season. So there's a report out of the Free Beacon where they've talked to some insiders within the government and it's believed, this is yet to be confirmed, so this is one of those things you got to take with a grain of salt. Um, it's believed that, and let me, let me take a step back is, is this Iran nuclear deal, this administration is all tense of purposes. Those who are analyzing it, understand the situation, understand the administration. It's going to be signed before a vote in the legislature can actually happen. And that's what has to happen in order for it to truly pass. So the Biden administration can make these promises, can make these things um, come about. But at the end of the day, it's not truly ratified until and fully agreed upon until it goes through Congress. So let's ha understand that the Biden administration is wholeheartedly going after this. There's obviously major concerns with it. And as part of this, what the Free Beacon Report is reporting is that if the Biden administration does this, they sign this deal without the ratification of the government, of Congress, then what's going to happen is immediately it's uh, $7 billion will be freed up in assets and bank account, international bank accounts for the IRGC, the um, Iranian Revolutionary Guard, to take that money, do what they want with it. The understanding is they as they have done in the past and currently are doing funding terrorism and trainings around the world, they'll take that money towards that, missiles, et cetera, stuff like that. As long as the hoopla uh, involved with the deal of getting involved with Russia and China as well. And the concerning part is that by removing these sanctions, they'll – and how the administration would go about doing this would – be basically removing the sanctions that were put on by President Trump via executive order. The administration, this current administration, knows that this deal, even if they did sign it, will most likely not pass Congress, um, the threshold to get ratified internationally. Um, but like Obama did, it's just going to go forward anyways. And they're going to have to deal with it on the back end. And so the the troubling aspect of this is that even before it gets to Congress, before they can even decide, the administration will remove any barriers from this money and a little bit more is what it's believed. They're still finding out. Um, they believe it's just $7 billion 
that currently will get freed up uh, prior to it going to Congress and then possibly more with the removing of the sanctions Trump put on. So this is very alarming, uh, something we want to be fully aware of. And then, and then number one, um, just repent for the Biden administration actions to get back into this nuclear deal uh, and ultimately funding terrorism possibly in America and, and definitely around the world. And then really, as this is coming about, as this is happening, pray and intercede for other leaders, those within the White House, to see how disastrous um, this is and see the fruits and the results of this deal, of getting back into it and to realize what is actually happening. Um, some will have hardness of hearts. Others hopefully can can see the realities. Yeah, just $7 billion, that's Plus the other hundred trillion, if they did actually forwardly go into it, Sharon, uh, that's another key figure to keep in mind. Is that if we went back into this deal, that would be. But is we just want to pray for obviously these leaders to to be aware of this situation, and hopefully if it goes to Congress, they can not ratify it and and stand against it somehow um, as they review it. But as it looks now, it looks like the administration is going to sign it. The the European Union, UK, the leaders there who are negotiating this are, are all going to go forward with how the deal stands now. Um, completely disastrous, as you guys know, I've been following along. And if you haven't, I would I would suggest go back and listen to the last week of and a half of how we've been following this. So there's that on the international fronts. Now we get to uh, domestically. The same-sex marriage bill is now being pushed forward despite the fact that 10 GOP Republicans haven't fully agreed to vote for this out of the Senate to ratify same-sex marriage. And a few key points are that um, they're going to try, by pushing it forward now, it could most likely come to the floor next week for a vote. They obviously still need 10 more – 10 Republicans to, to get over the 60-vote threshold. But there are people like Romney uh, who believe that passing this will – they'll still somehow be able to protect religious liberties, which part of this bill currently as it sits does not do that. It does the very opposite, and in any form you think about it, of redefining marriage um, really takes away religious liberties because you're you're now saying that because as part no matter how you write it you're saying churches if if they're going to do marriages they have to give in to to gay marriage and stuff like that and somehow Romney thinks that that's not and, and other Republicans um, Collins and others as well think that you can do this without somehow stepping on the First Amendment. And it's a false rea- a false sense of reality in and of that. But then, as we talked about yesterday, the Heritage Foundation reports is that once you start this, what's poly- what's to stop polygamy, bestiality, pedophilia? Like, what's to stop any of that from coming to an, into existence if if those groups get louder and louder? Um, so we want to be fully aware of this situation as this. He's coming to a head, and obviously Schumer's only doing this to get people's votes on the books, and and good. Like, either way, good. We need to see who these people are, where do they stand on these five foundations um, and that, number one, this nation was founded upon, but are in line with um, the Father's heart on these issues. 
And so we wanted to, number one, repent for our transgressions as a nation to trying and have done to redefine marriage as they continue pushing this forward and more so intercede for leaders to stand up for biblical foundations that this nation, number one, was founded upon, but that we want to continue to hopefully stand upon uh, in the days ahead as we deal with some of these conflicts. And, and this will possibly um, come up even more in other scenarios. Okay. Now, I want to spend a few few moments on this story and kind of read through this article a little bit. There was a recent study done by Barna that asked pastors their, some questions on some challenges that they had in ministry, and it's part of their State of the Church study. And in it, one of the questions they ask is, have you ever considered quitting the ministry? Some said yes, some said no, and the ones who quit showed some reasons and the ones who, who don't want to quit showed some reasons and some interesting things as to why they want to quit. There were, um, of the pastors that they asked, I want to make sure I have this right, in the study, it's um, they asked about 510 Protestant senior pastors from this past March in this study. And of those that they asked, 42% said that they have considered quitting full-time ministry. And part of the reasons, the three top reasons that they gave were for, I want to make sure I get this right, um, let me pull this up here, is the immense stress of the job, um, feeling lonely and isolated, and then the current political divisions. A lot of it had to do with the pandemic and coming out of that situation, people not being – certain people not being happy that they had to wear masks, some people being upset that they didn't wear masks, um, dealing with the ramifications of live streaming, new technologies, new concerns, new questions from people that they didn't answer and didn't teach before. There are some pastors who didn't – this study didn't show this, but – just natural knowledge of knowing the situation is a lot of pastors didn't teach this stuff. And now we're seeing the ramifications uh, the fall of the fallout of not teaching the full scriptures. But that's not, that's not what this study deals with. It just deals with the state of pastor pastors. Um, some of them said that they named stress, uh, 56% of the 42% said they, they felt stressed, uh, loneliness, political division, um, as well as the toll it takes on their families. And that's, that's true whether they want to stay or don't stay. And this study, there's an article from Fox that um, outlines it and does a good job in showing why people want to quit. A little bit, and then why people don't want to quit. And what's interesting is the the pastors who want to quit name these things as problems, and the pastors who don't want to quit name the same exact things as problems. Uh, but the key difference is is the ones who don't want to quit have a community and a fellowship with their people versus those who want to quit who who feel lonely, stressed. They take on too much, and some of this has to do with personality. Some of this has to do um, with leadership styles. Um, and as you go through it, it really brings out a lot of things, but the ones who are stressed are the ones who are showing that they 
they're not exemplifying the true characteristics that are within Scripture. And part of the article goes on to talk about how there was a church psychologist, licensed psychologist, who looked at some of the anxiety levels um, and the stress levels of pastors and was really kind of trying to, in a way, like say that the church um, was putting too much on the pastors and saying that they're not taking on a biblical approach to shepherding a congregation. And, and his concern was that the pa- some pastors are, are needed to act more like CEOs rather than um, just pastors. And, and when you take a step back and you look at Scripture and you look at the understanding of what it means to actually govern and more so run and operate a, a community of believers, is it can't just be the pastor alone. It has to take the fivefold. And there's the old example of the hand of you have the apostle, prophet, evangelist, teacher, pastor, pastor, teacher. I always get those mixed up. Um, but it's the pastors over down here, I think on five, I think a teacher's higher than a pastor. Um, but the apostle is the one who kind of holds everything together. The prophet points, evangelist, et cetera, gathers. And so when, when we, we stretch back, um, Part of some of these things they're saying of, of, oh, they shouldn't be doing these things, that's true. Uh, the pastor was never meant to f- be the one leading the congregation in the body of Christ. Um, Robert Heidler does a teaching on this in the School of Issachar, if you ever have a chance to go back and watch it, where he he reveals a study that he did where he looks in the Bible and sees where a pastor is mentioned. And it's I think only a handful of time, I can't remember the exact numbers, but it's only a handful of time versus the magnification of, of an apostle and a prophet, uh, the old Testament, um, new Testament as well, uh, that are called to lead and the body of Christ, the believers, the Israelites, uh, whatever the scenario may be. And the interesting thing of this is there was part of these studies showed that, um, the rate of depression and anxiety amongst priests in this situation, in this study, during the pandemic rose, but ultimately it's lower than that of the CDC, of the general populace, which is quite alarming. And going back to the study that we pointed out last week of the overall 37% of pastors who actually have a biblical worldview and behave that way, is and we look we see that number and then we look at the fruits of society of our children of our churches themselves of not being prepared for the pandemic of not believing in in certain aspects of the holy spirit and the function of it today for whatever the case may be is when we look at the church and then we look at society and we know relationally and scripturally, scripture tells us, Paul tells us that the leaders will look to the church and the leaders of the church to see what to do. And in these examples, the leaders, priests, pastors, whatever the case may be, whatever denomination, they're stressed out. They're anxious. So why, as we see these rises in depression and anxiety and all this stuff increasing, here's where we can say, okay, here's the, here's the root problem is the church doesn't know how to deal with it itself. It wants to just comfort. It wants to just 
just get along to be along, to be happy. Some of those things we, we read in the Live Not By um, Lies book about how that's what modern American Christianity has turned into. And that's very unfortunate because that's not the scriptures and the gospel of what Jesus established when he was here. And even, again, I go back to even some of the same things, the same problems that those who, um, who want to quit versus those who are here, ha- they, they have the same thing. Stress of the job, current political division, um, some of them um, are satisfied, aren't satisfied. But then the ones who want to stay, they have su- they feel supported from their family. The ones who want to quit are saying, well, the job's just putting too much stress on my family. Um, and there's a host of other things. And and I, I point to this, this isolation here, because as you go back and you look at totalitarian regime, the idea was to isolate. It was to divide. It was to get them to turn on each other, to not love each other, um, in, a, in a sense, to snitch on each other. And we look snitch on each other, and we see that as what we just came out of, of, of fruits of the same tree. And realizing that, okay, this isn't just something people are making up in their minds. It's the reality of, of what – and the fruits and, and, and the groundwork that other regimes who do want – to have totalitarian regimes have. And a, a key st- staple, hallmark, fruit, however you want to define it, of an antichrist spirit trying to enter in the earth or a, a in a natural sense, a totalitarian re- regime, is that they want to isolate you. They want to put you in no, especially a religious community, um, and then more so they want you to be lonely and then to look towards them as the leading factor. And so that's something we want to um, stand against because the root reveals the fruit. Uh, And we want to make sure that we're fully aware about what's going on. And and ultimately, as we've talked about, praying for those foundations um, to continue to stand sturdy in this season of, look, this is what the Founding Fathers built this nation on of family, community, and being involved. And that leads me into my last story of the Heritage Foundation put out their Education Freedom Report Card. Because this leads into our midterms. This is a a huge contention point. And we see here, the greener you are, the more freedom you have. It was Florida was number one, Arizona was number two, California is 29, uh, Georgia is 14 for those in Louisiana. You're nine. Texas is actually 12. And um, I think it's New York and New Jersey are 50 and 49. You also have Washington at 43 and Oregon at 40. Now, I say this because we have elections coming up. And if you remember back to Virginia, who was at 20, who is currently at 20, their parents rose up. And said, enough's enough. We don't want these issues, these things, certain things being taught to our children. And the Washington Post has a good article here talking about um, the power of parents at the midterms. And this is, the picture here is a Republican candidate, Tiffany Smiley, in who's running for, if I remember correctly, Senate, yes, in Washington. 
and I, I believe, I want to say it was Chris Reed. Somebody had the prophetic word, I believe it was Chris Reed, that watch Washington and I believe Oregon, and they would they would shock everybody. And I'm not, I'm just, I'm paying attention to the prophetic and the natural here of there's this poll I pointed out is there was a Harris poll of about 5,000 school-aged children's parents. And of those 5,000 parents that were polled, this is just a Harris poll, those five, of those 5,000, 82% said they would be willing to cross party lines for a candidate whose education platform aligned with their own. So that included significant numbers of minority parents who also expressed a growing interest in school choice. And if we remember back to COVID, one of the best things that happened was for parents to realize the concerns with what was going on in the classroom that they were completely unaware of, that those same type of teachers is if you're watching Project Veritas release these reports of school administrators, school principals, um, operators of these whether they be public schools or charter schools, whatever the case may be, is they have this agenda to push the diversity, LGBTQ type stuff onto children despite parents saying they do not want this and only hiring teachers who will teach that. You saw that and I saw, I've seen that personally in South Florida. And that's why you have people like Governor DeSantis who is fighting these school boards dealing directly and parents are rising up in these school board elections to prevent this stuff from continuing to occur. Look, it's not just going to be one election. We need to remind ourselves of that. It's going to take years and years and years to remove, number one, these teachers, that ideology, and set back in place the basic educational foundation of reading, writing, and arithmetic. They can't read, read, write, and do arithmetic, but they can sure understand that there are 57 different genders and, and every letter of, of the LGBTQ alphabet that keeps growing every day. And, and, and want to bring this out as we enter into this weekend to continue to intercede for parents to rise up in this season, to have the strength to, and it's not easy, I'm a parent, is there are a lot of things on your plate, and so they need help, they need strength, they need prayer, as well as pastors need need strength, need prayer, need community, um, in order so that they can raise up the children in the way they should they should go as this new school year has started, as Scripture proclaims to us. Uh, but then also for pastors is come build a support. Uh, obviously, look, no pastor is perfect. I grew up in a pastor's household. And so there's a lot of challenges that arise of balancing, of serving those who you're put in a position to lead versus your family. And some grace probably should be given from um, the church itself and the people within the church towards their pastor a little bit as, you know, as long as they're preaching biblical foundations of that and and understand that we're we're all in this together it's going to take all of us you know the old saying it, it, it takes a, a village to raise a child look it's going to take everybody in not only this nation but around the world for the gospel of the kingdom to come forth for the manifestation of supernatural powers being the things jesus did it's it's not just going to be one person it's going to take all of us and a lot of the prophetic that Paul Keane put out that 
um, IHOP has been refreshing and reviving is it's going to be everybody. It's not just going to be one man, one woman. It's going to be everybody doing it. And, and that's what it's going to take. And so we remind ourselves of that this weekend of this bat. This is a battle worth battling for the future of the souls of these children, the future of this nation, so that souls can be saved, number one, and enter into eternity. And that's our that's our purpose here as we we stand here on the wall praying for the office of the president. Uh, we want to remind ourselves that we're hoping that we can have leaders who will allow freedom to reign so that we can be the nation as we have been prophesied over and have a destiny towards of spreading the gospel of the kingdom to the nations. Uh, so with that, I'll close. Hopefully you find this encouraging. Uh, if so, please feel free to like, share, subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to as we continue to grow and continue to share our message of standing on the wall praying for the office of the president. I hope you guys have a great rest of your weekend, and I will see you guys later. Have a good one.